Hello and welcome to Beyond Well. I'm Sheila Hamilton. You know, I had one goal when I started this podcast, and that was to bring zero cost information to you about mental health and the evidence-based tips that you can use to stay well together. And as part of that promise, I only partner with organizations or people whose products I really believe in. So I'd like you to know more about Active Recovery TMS. TMS is an evidence-based non-drug therapy for depression and OCD. And if your depression medication has failed to bring you relief, transcranial magnetic stimulation is both safe, it's effective, and it's covered by most insurances. My late husband did not respond well to antidepressants or mood stabilizers, and I would have given anything to know that there are other remedies for depression that have been studied, tested, and FDA approved. TMS is targeted to the specific area of the brain that is underactive in depression and overactive in OCD. And the patient testimonials, which we're going to be sharing, are so emotional. These people literally have their lives back after undergoing treatment. I believe in the entire team at Active Recovery TMS, and they'll work with you on an individual basis to make sure you get relief. TMS therapy is covered by most insurance plans and with multiple locations in Oregon and Washington, there is a location near you. Learn more at activerecoverytms.com. Beyond Well, I'm Sheila Hamilton, and this is a program for people who want to learn more about their interior lives. There is no more human health crisis than the number of Americans who are living with medication-resistant depression. And there's new data to suggest that if you've been on three antidepressants, your chance for success on a fourth or fifth are very, very slim. Dr. Preetham Raj is board certified in both internal medicine and psychiatry, and he's seen the profound impact that mental health can have on people's physical health. He specializes in the connection between the mind and body. Dr. Raj earned his medical degree from the University of Maryland School of Medicine, and he completed his combined residency training in internal medicine and psychiatry at Duke University. He was one of the early clinical raters for TMS trials, and he continues to operate the consulting faculty appointment there. Dr. Raj is bringing a wealth of knowledge about TMS from his time as medical director of the Adventist Health Portland's Emotional Wellness Center. And today we're going to talk all about TMS. So what first attracted you to TMS? So, you know, when I was still on the East Coast at Duke, we were very indoctrinated into using electroconvulsive therapy, so ECT, which I've been certified to do. And we're strong believers that if medications failed, if talk therapy failed, we needed other options. And back then, early in my training, it was electroconvulsive therapy to kind of reset the brain if you will. And you know, everybody's most familiar with One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest that was filmed in, in the 70s, but depicted psychiatric care in the 50s and how barbaric it seemed. And so we still have Hollywood kind of dramatizing 
uh, some of the treatments that we use in a very negative light. And so patients still unfortunately have a lot of negative feelings towards some of our neuromodulation techniques, which ECT is, has been our big one uh, through the history of psychiatry. But in 2006, when I was uh, wrapping up my career at Duke, we were doing some of the early trials in TMS and, and some of my mentors there coached me into doing some of the clinical rating. So you need experts to kind of rate patients as they're going through a treatment. So I was fortunate to actually be a part of some of those early studies looking at this new thing called TMS. And we all didn't really fully know what this uh, meant. We knew uh, obviously the science, but clinically what this was meaning to patients. And back then we kind of had an inkling of who was getting sham treatment, which is you know the artificial treatment versus who was getting the real treatment. But things are still a struggle sometimes when we're doing scientific experiments using sham TMS or sham ECT because it's really hard to replicate what's actually going on in the machine without actually stimulating the brain. We can make the sounds, we can kind of zap the surface, but um, you know, it's, it's hard to fully replicate what a sham treatment would be. So in 2006, we were doing some of these early trials and through that, we were seeing some results and one of the big studies that came out in 2007 was done by a gentleman named O'Reardon and O'Reardon study looked at 300 some patients uh, using TMS and lo and behold, so it's typically a six week procedure, by weeks four and six, we were seeing really good separation from the sham TMS. And so at that point, you know, it was very looking very, very positive. And then a year later in 2008, the first Neurostar TMS machine was FDA cleared in this country. And so 2008 marked a big, big year for, for TMS. Okay. Talk to us about how it works. If you had to give somebody just the short elevator pitch, what would you say? Essentially, we're harnessing the laws of physics using magnetic energy to convert electrical energy to the brain. So simply put, we're using magnetic fields to stimulate the brain in a rapid fashion by converting the magnetic energy into electrical activity. Electricity, we think, is actually the currency of the brain. It's how the brain actually works is electrical impulses. So we think of neurotransmitters and we often talk about neurotransmitters when it comes to medications, but really at the beginning phase, it's really electricity. And so by putting the magnetic energy into the brain using Faraday's law of induction, we are stimulating the brain in a rapid fashion. What is it that contributes to this dysfunction in people's neural pathways, or as you've described it, not making enough of the good electricity? Yeah, so there are myriad reasons. Um, you know, there that we can break it down into you know electrical uh, impulses that are are more dormant during a depressed state. A stressed state actually raises cortisol, so. Cortisol kind of malfunctions in the system when you're in that fight or flight mode um, can certainly have a negative impact in the brain over a long period of time. Imagine if we have a fight or flight system that's activated in something like post-traumatic stress disorder, the brain can handle that for a period of time, but if it's chronically there, we call that complex PTSD, for example, that starts to insult the brain as does major depressive disorder over time that insult to the brain is what creates a paralyzed state if you will a dormant state a less metabolically active state 
and that is reflected in PET scans that we see on patients' brains who have depression or other psychiatric conditions. And then TMS is used to then stimulate and, and get the brain back into activity. I love seeing when you show the part of the brain that is being treated. So could you please explain again what it is the machines are actually doing to these different parts of the brain? Yeah, so there are high-frequency pulses and low-frequency pulses. So low-frequency pulses with TMS actually are inhibitory. They actually suppress function and it depends on how it's delivered, but we use high-frequency pulses to excite the brain. So we talked about how the brain becomes more dormant and kind of metabolically hypoactive, so not as active, not using glucose, not using sugar like it should. And so in that hypoactive state, we need to excite it up, and that's where we use high-frequency impulses to stimulate, and I keep pointing to this side of the brain because it's typically the left dorsolateral prefrontal cortex that is the gateway to the deeper structures and the deeper circuits of the brain that are responsible for communicating any messages the brain we want to send from the top of the brain, which is our control center, down to the deeper, more primitive structures of the brain that control things such as rage, emotion, uh, things of that nature. So what is happening when you treat OCD? It's a totally different part of the brain. Yeah, it's it's more anterior central circuit. It, it still hits the deeper structures. We call those the basal ganglia. So it's hitting from the surface, the cortex, down to the basal ganglia in this type of a pathway. In obsessive compulsive disorder, the circuit is more in the central and front and so we do need a different location of the treatment coil. And in this case, we would be treating a central location, a central anterior location in the front to interrupt this negative cycle that happens with obsessions and compulsions. Ultimately, the applications for TMS seem a lot wider than just depression and OCD. One would think that maybe there's a role for this in a host of other applications like postpartum and anxiety. What do you foresee for TMS? Absolutely. I mean, we're at the tip of the iceberg, which is what's yeah. so exciting uh, of being a part of this. I mean, this is a technology that has been developed well within my lifetime. In 1985, the first pulses were used on the motor strip. And only in 1995 did we start using this to treat a depression center. So imagine an, an FDA clearance in 2008. So we're talking about something that has just really begun and we're looking at multiple indications. If you talk about other conditions that are currently FDA approved, one of our technologies actually approved for smoking cessation, for example. And you mentioned anxiety, just recently anxious depression. We know anxiety and depression are part of the same Venn diagram and, and there's tons of overlap between anxiety and depression. And we know that it's now FDA cleared for anxious depression. We've had the same standard where we've been treating people with antidepressants for years. And lately, the studies have shown that after the third or fourth time on an antidepressant, a person doesn't have as much success of getting better. So could you talk about these studies and why it's essential that people understand their findings? Sure. You're referring to the STAR-D trial. STAR is an acronym for Sequence Treatment Alternatives to Relieve Depression. And that was the largest real-world study that's ever been done 
in depression using antidepressant therapy. And that was in the early 2000s and published in the mid 2000s, a sequence of if you fail one medication, then you're gonna try one of several other medications. And if that fails, then we try to either augment, add a second agent or switch entirely to another set of medications. So very elegant, very, very well done study and the fact that it was a real world study had real good application to those of us who practice clinical psychiatry and clinical medicine. And so it was a very helpful study, but it showed that if you have failed three medications, yeah. the chance of you getting someone to remission falls below 7%. Yeah. So at that point, you kind of start to think, well, what's the definition of insanity is doing something over and over again, expecting yeah. a different result. And here, if you failed three medications, the chance of getting somebody to remission, which is the goal, falls below, it's 6.9% actually in the yeah. study. What are we doing? Are, are we really gonna you know, try to use those statistics to justify another medication? Or are we gonna try something that has a better proven track record? What are the big questions people have about TMS when they come in? So the biggest questions is, is this gonna hurt? And is this gonna cost me money? So efficacy and tolerability are usually the two measuring sticks we use with any treatment. If you came to me with high blood pressure and I said, I'm gonna give you a medication to treat that, you're gonna ask me, well, does it work? And are there side effects with it? Usually those are the common questions we get. And I wanna reassure people that in terms of tolerability, we see the less than 5% of people actually stop treatment due to adverse effects. And typically the, the main adverse effect with this treatment is as we're passing the magnetic field into the scalp and skull and brain, to the brain, it has to penetrate through the scalp where the nerves are. Oh. And so all the nerves here, it does feel like a strong tapping sensation yeah. as magnetic energy passes through the scalp into the brain. And that sensation can be challenging to some, very well tolerated to others. It all depends on your pain threshold and things like that. But it does feel like a tapping sensation on the scalp and so some people are sensitive to that, but typically what we find and why it's so well tolerated is people quickly acclimate to that uh -huh. sensation. And yeah. so from a, from a side effect standpoint, that's really the big one. And how lasting is the change on people's neurotransmitters? That's also a wonderful question that I, I get asked a lot. The durability of treatment study out of Dr. Dunner's group in the Seattle area in 2014 answered that question pretty well for us because what he found is he treated a group of his patients and found that at the end of treatment, i.e. after right after we concluded at the six to eight week mark, about 62, 63% of patients responded. Wow. That means got 50% better. And then about 42% went into remission, which is the virtual absence of symptoms, which is wow. really the goal, which is tremendous. But what he found by studying that same group a year later, those numbers actually went up to 67% and 45%, not statistically different from where they ended, but the durability of treatment was demonstrated over a year period. And that's really what we want. We don't want patients to get better in the short term, like just for a couple of weeks. We want them to get better for years if we can. Why the necessity of visit after visit? And what is the actual protocol? How was that formulated? 
Yeah, so these research protocols that went into uh, determining the length of treatment, it starts to get very complicated uh, in terms of the scientific explanation because you start to look at when you pulse the brain, um, how, how long can you maintain that excitement before oh. it drops out, before you need to do another train? And so a lot of calculations went into this protocol oh. to see how many times do you have to deliver, how many seconds, how many pulses do we deliver? So all of those have been calculated out to a really good algorithm that we want to maintain, which is why we try to mimic what we do here in our treatment centers with how the research studies were conducted and get people up to the desired level of intensity during treatment as quickly as possible so that we can then get the desired result. However, some people you know, have issues with it feels a little bit uncomfortable for me to go that fast and we modify the protocol to their comfort level while nudging them forward because we still want to approximate the research study. Yeah. It would be like taking a medication at an extremely low dose. The chance of us getting our desired outcome from an extremely low dose is kind of a crapshoot if we don't get to the studied desirable dose. You've talked about the science and what's been published and it's evidence-based, but I'm sure you have really strong feelings about what you've actually witnessed in your patients. Yeah, and really the proof is in the pudding and my technicians and, and my providers, we get to see this and live this every day, which is the joyous part of, of what we do is just watching lives transform. And just right before our eyes in weeks, not years, and I'm a firm believer in psychotherapy. I've, I've had successful patients go through psychotherapy under my care. And it sometimes takes years to see that change happen. And we're suddenly, in this modern day and age, watching people get better in six weeks, it's, it's incredible. Here's a question, and we probably should have begun with this one, actually. We've heard a lot of details about it so far, so give us a very quick explanation of what is TMS. So TMS stands for transcranial magnetic stimulation. It's using Faraday's law of induction to stimulate the brain using magnetic energy directly from electrical currents that spins electrons rapidly to create what's called a magnetic field and transfers the energy from our devices directly into the brain, which then causes the nerves in the brain to fire rapidly and depolarize in kind of a, a volleying cascade to the deeper structures of the brain. Like waking it up. Waking it up. I'm often concerned about the limitations for people who are deeply depressed and potentially suicidal, especially when they have to wait for insurance to cover this kind of treatment. Do you see the augmentation of esketamine and these short-lived fast-acting nasal inhibitors to be something that could be hopeful for patients that need treatment now? So it's interesting. Um, there's a lot of wishful thinking that goes into our approach to patients. We wanna find some solution. And right now we're exploring as a company the use of intranasal esketamine. There were a number of interesting research findings that led to FDA clearance. There's been a lot of criticism as well in the literature about how these studies um, were conducted and how well they were demonstrating significant improvement, which is why they are FDA cleared, which is why we're going to start using Spravato in our treatment, so intranasal esketamine. However, we're, we're eager to see 
just as as you are if this is going to be as efficacious we're very sold on transcranial magnetic stimulation we know it works we've read all the theoretical studies surrounding esketamine or spravato we're we're hopeful and and we are about to start treatment next week actually or this week you've shown me the curve of how patients respond and it generally takes until the middle of the treatment week four yep week four if a person is deeply deeply depressed that's a really long time to wait which is why we love to partner more with intensive outpatient programs, with hospital systems to kind of tie the treatment in together. In fact, that's what I was doing at, at Adventist Health when you and I first met. We were tying in intensive outpatient programming with this TMS treatment, which would be really important to get somebody with daily care for psychotherapy, with med management, with TMS with the whole thing to get them that intensive care that they need. That's the best way to do it. Now, medications, we're, we're always looking for the fastest medication to work. And most of the research trials actually with some of the newer medications coming out are looking at speed. Yeah. Um, some of the new uh, steroid modulators of NMDA are looking at that precisely. And that's where Spravato or, or esketamine is also one of those very promising, can get people better very quickly. MDSI, major depression with suicidal ideation, is what you're kind of referring to. Somebody who's at their end of their rope and, and they're deeply depressed and frankly suicidal, those are the folks that go to emergency rooms. We'd love to get them started on intranasal ketamine right then and there and then transition right to an outpatient setting like we are, and then we have continuity of care that way. Oh man, that lifts my heart. So what have I missed? Is there anything else you wanna to touch on? I think it's important, so so getting to the timing of it. Now, you've probably met during the course of, of these interviews, some of our patients who get better right out of the gate. Mm -hmm. There are some, we're seeing patients get better within the first week. We're always cautiously optimistic when that happens because you know we know that there are, is a placebo effect, a honeymoon effect, if you will, of coming into treatment and getting daily care from treatment providers. And we do see some of that contributing to that initial increase, but a lot of folks are, are starting to tell us that initial improvement that they're noticing is what maintains during the course of treatment. Wow. So we're getting that cohort, but typically what I want people to know is, based on those Reardon study and several other research studies that have been done, it really is slow and steady wins the race typically because we're recruiting the neurotransmitters and we're recruiting the signaling of the brain that sometimes takes a little while to develop. And that's where I think you're seeing that slow at first, but then lift off. Just yeah. like in the analogy I often use with my patients is, when you're on an airplane, you need a runway to take off. It's not a rocket ship that's gonna shoot yeah. straight up. The plane needs that momentum, just as the brain needs a little bit of momentum, pick up the speed one week, two week, three week, then the wheels come up and then you start lift off. And that's typically the cadence that we see with TMS, which is much shorter than what we see with medication sometimes, but medications too. It takes a little while to get down that runway and then experience liftoff. You just said something important, people waiting for talk therapy versus going into an office straight away and trying something, being engaged. That's gotta have a social impact that's super important. Absolutely, which is why 
we've spent a lot of time hiring the best therapists and technicians we can find um, because we're noticing that that is very pivotal yeah. in, in this journey. Anything else? So Sheila, what we are uh, we're excited to, to actually publish now are several interesting findings that are going to be coming out here in short order. The first one was actually looking at 555 consecutive patients that we've treated. We use two different technologies. One is the H1 coil that was developed in Israel that was FDA cleared in this country in 2013 and wanted to compare outcomes with that machine which was actually the first machine that we used as a company with a figure eight coil that was sponsored by Neurostar that we use here in, in these clinics that was FDA cleared in 2008. And we wanted to compare outcomes between those two machines. And what we're finding is the largest randomized control trial that has been done comparing the two yeah. was actually favoring the H1 coil. So we wanted to replicate our own study because we'd been using the H1 coil from the get-go to see how it compared. What we're actually finding is that there is a st statistically significant improvement actually in the figure of eight coil compared to the brain's way. So a slight increase of efficacy using our figure eight coil, which is an interesting finding. It, it, we would like to replicate this in a larger randomized control trial, which would be the best outcome. But from an observation standpoint, 555 patients is a lot of patients to analyze and, and look at outcomes. So that was one of our interesting findings. Another interesting finding is a lot of people are interested in what's happening with our patient population, both pre-pandemic compared to during the pandemic. And what we're seeing is our outcomes are actually improved during the pandemic. So people who were treated prior to January of 2020 had very good outcomes, but their outcomes of patients who started January 2020 and beyond, so we've had two plus you know years of data, it's showing that their outcomes are actually even better, especially in our older patients, those who are 60 and older. Now you can speculate that some of that could be just coming to a treatment location right. and, having, and having interaction with yeah. someone that we know can, can contribute. But what we want to drive home is pandemic or no, this treatment works and in fact seems to work better during yeah. the pandemic. And what difference physically do you see in patients from the time when they walk into your office to the time that they finish treatment? Oh, the transformation is just just amazing. Watching people kind of come in, their body language, so much of psychiatry is visual. It's, it's, it's watching people. And, 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 and that's what I'm doing the entire time I'm interacting with, with someone is watching their body language. Mm -hmm. And you can just see the depression and the burden, in the slumped shoulders, in the affect, we call it. So the yeah. crestfallen look of, and hopelessness. It's just all over your face uh, when you walk in with the level of depression that we're talking about. Remind people that we're talking often about treatment-resistant depression. So you've tried medication one, two, three. You've tried psychotherapeutic techniques one, two, and three. You've tried inpatient stays, you've tried a variety of, of interventions, and then you come to us. So imagine how defeated you feel and, and the patients that we see just come in going, I've tried everything. Um, will insurance pay for this? Yes. In most cases, what we see is 
insurance companies are also seeing what we're seeing and seeing the tangible improvement that the TMS brings for patients. So they're covering this treatment. We get them in and watch people go from this to slowly this to making great eye contact and doing things. One of my patients just recently said, you know, when I leave here, I go and vacuum my house. I've never been able to do that. I've never been able to take charge of my life the way I've wanted to. Watching that transformation happen. And we coach people. We're coaching people. We're nudging people forward. People sometimes need that. You know, hey, you're having trouble getting a physical activity program started. I want you when you come to treatment to park as far away from the office as you can and build in a workout as you're coming to treatment. They love ideas like that and they latch onto it and I can do that. We're not talking expensive gym memberships. We're talking about parking farther and getting a few extra minutes of aerobic activity and that sets people up for a little more, a little more, a little more and watching the process just transform lives. It must be incredible to watch people get their lives back. Oh, it's it's like nothing else. And and I'll remind you, Sheila, I'm an internist as well, and I get to treat people's diabetes and their heart failure and their high blood pressure when I'm in that setting, but nothing is as rewarding as watching people's mood change from yeah. I can't to I can. And imagine what happens to all the medical outcomes when the mood is lifted. Suddenly the diabetic control gets better, the blood pressure comes down, the heart failure, the swelling goes away because they're they're more active, they're doing. Wonderful. And that's hugely rewarding. So why should someone choose Active Recovery TMS? Why should someone choose Active Recovery TMS? Because we are the largest TMS provider in Oregon. We have six clinics at this time with an expansion project into the Puget Sound, very short to take uh, form here. And we're working on that right now with six locations. We feel very strongly about having our locations very close to where patients are. That's a model that some other hospital systems actually don't value as much. They, they kind of think more centralized. We think of decentralized. We, we want our clinics in neighborhoods. We want them to be very accessible because we know that patients are committing a lot of time to coming to our program every day for six plus weeks. And so we want to make it as convenient as possible. If I were going to print you on a billboard, what would you say? I'm Dr. Preetham Raj, Chief Medical Officer at Active Recovery TMS, and TMS is our jam. (laughs) Oh man, I love it. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you've heard, please give us a thumbs up. You can find more about Active Recovery and their six offices at our website at beyondwellmedia.com, as well as activerecoverytms.com. Bora Health is a nonprofit alcohol and drug treatment center in Portland, Oregon, that has been helping youth, adults, and families for nearly 50 years. They offer compassionate, comprehensive, and affordable care for everyone, regardless of background, orientation, or ability to pay. Bora recently opened a new state-of-the-art campus in Portland's Southeast Gateway District, and the entire campus is healing and supportive. You can find out more about their full array of evidence-based therapies for drug and alcohol treatment at www.forahealth.org. If you or a loved one needs support, there are many options and personalized approaches to care. Reach out to Fora Health at 503-535-1151 or 
See the show notes for more details.